So take your Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of John in chapter 12. John chapter 12. We're going to see demonstrated in the passage before us this morning two different responses to the Gospel. Two different responses to the witness and ministry of Jesus. Both responses are instructive, but neither of them is the correct response. I want you to follow along in your Bible as I read from the English Standard Version. And again, I'm reading from John chapter 12, beginning at verse 36. So John 12 and verse 36. Follow along in your copy of God's Word. So Jesus said to them, Actually, I'm going to back up to verse 35. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. And now verse 36, While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, says verse 39, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Now verse 44, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say? And what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So, we just saw in this passage two responses to the gospel. These are two ways. People responded to the witness and the ministry of Jesus Christ then. And you need to realize that nothing has changed. In fact, it, it is still how many people respond to the witness and ministry of Jesus Christ. 
both ways of responding teach us something. But neither of them is the correct response. So here's the first response to the gospel that we see here in this passage. It's a, we'll we'll call it a persistent unbelief. That's one way to respond to the gospel. Persistent unbelief. And what follows persistent unbelief is a hardening of the heart. It's a hardening against the truth of the Bible. A hardening of the heart against the truth of the gospel and who Jesus is and why He came and why He lived a sinless life and why He went to the cross and was crucified and then buried and then rose from the dead and ascended. It's a hardening of your heart against those truths. Jesus makes it clear in verse 36, and we noted this our last time here, when Jesus says, while you have the light, believe in the light. The time to believe, says Jesus, is not later. The time to believe is now. The people were hearing from Jesus, get this, God in human flesh. But He would not always be with them. The time to believe was now. But not only because Jesus would not always be with them. That wasn't actually the main reason Jesus was saying this. Yes, He was going to be crucified, and He would die and be buried, and and then we know He rose from the dead on the third day, but, but why He's saying this now is because if you continue to reject the truth, you are very likely to have a hardened heart against the truth. And the same is true for you today. If you haven't trusted in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, the time is now. Do not wait Do not delay. Put your faith and trust in Him even where you sit. Even in this moment, you realize you don't need to wait till the end of the service. In this moment, you can talk to God in your heart. He he knows what's in your heart. He knows what you're thinking. You can surrender your life to Him and trust Him as Lord and Savior even in this moment. I don't want to assume that every person in this room is a believer. I, I would rejoice if that's true. But I want you to know today is the day. Know that Jesus is Lord. Know that He gave His life for sinners to be saved. Do not delay. Trust in Him now. And we can see here in the text another reason why this is so important to respond in faith to Jesus Christ sooner rather than later. The simple truth is, the longer you wait the more you may become resistant to the truth of the gospel. The more you persist in unbelief, the harder it will be for you to believe the truth and trust in Jesus. You need to know that if you're wondering about whether you should get your affairs in order before you trust Jesus or or after you trust Jesus, trust Him now. You don't need to clean up your life. You don't need to change anything. You need to surrender and submit to His authority in your life, and trust in Him now. And then Jesus will move in and take up residence by way of His Spirit. And then as you get into the Word, and you may remain faithful in church, and you read the Word, 
you'll begin to learn how to take steps to obey Him, and your life will change. You won't be able to help it. But you don't need to change your life first. Trust Him first. That's the first miracle. Trust Him now. We see that happening when we hear this in verses 36 and 37, this hardening. If you persist in unbelief, the harder it will be for you to believe the truth and trust in Jesus. And we see that happening. Look at verses 36 and 37 again. While you have the light, believe in the light. He wasn't only talking about him being physically present. While you have the truth, while you're listening and and, and you're hearing the truth explained to you, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And that's why the ladies this morning could sing this little light of mine, and you can sing it too if you're a believer in Jesus Christ because He shines in you the light of truth. And as you walk in obedience to Him, your life shines the light of truth. And sometimes you'll get an opportunity to speak the light of truth when you share the gospel with people. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, He departed and hid Himself from them. Look at verse 37 again. Though He had done so many signs before them, here it is, they still did not believe in Him. Why this persistent unbelief? You can almost hear it in John the Apostle's consternation here in verse 37. Though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him. Why this persistent unbelief? Had they not seen all they needed to see to believe in Jesus? Yes, they had, they had seen. And if they hadn't physically seen themselves, they had heard eyewitness accounts of His miracles. Some of them had been present for His teaching. And, and again, if they hadn't been present for His teaching, there had been others who came along and said, here is what Jesus said. So what about his authoritative and trustworthy teaching? Was there something wrong with it? No, no, no. Think of this, and you may be frustrated at times when you witness with the truth of the gospel and have people turn their back on you or say, no, that's not for me. It's okay for you if you want to be religious. If you want to believe the Bible, that's, that's okay for you, some people might say. There's nothing wrong with the truth that you're sharing with them. There was nothing wrong with Jesus' teaching. Even as we noted last time, as we heard in verse 28, they also had God the Father speaking from heaven. We heard that in verse 28 when God the Father spoke. This this testimony from heaven for those who were present in that moment. The people who had gathered were... Where Jesus was on this day had every reason to believe in Him. They had all the evidence they needed, and actually they had far more than they needed. But John begins to tell us why they still did not believe in Jesus. Look at verse 38 again. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord, who has believed what He Heard from us. Now that is a quote from the Old Testament. That's right from Isaiah 53 and verse 1. And Isaiah 
was prophesying about Israel's unbelief. And that's the unbelief we're seeing here. This is rejection of Jesus. So in answer to Isaiah's question, who has believed what he heard from us? The answer, very few have believed. And that's in spite of the truth of verse 38. When it says that the arm of the Lord has been clearly revealed to them. God has been revealed to them. In fact, they have a physical representation of God in Jesus Christ in human flesh. And God has been glorified before them by way of Jesus' many miracles. And God has been glorified before them by way of Jesus' sinless life. And God has been glorified before them by way of the life-transforming gospel which Jesus preached. So what was it that was absent that these people wouldn't believe even with such powerful evidence? John tells us, again, quoting the prophet Isaiah. Look at verses 39 and 40 again in your Bible. Verse 39, Therefore they could not believe. So John says they could not believe. They could not believe. He goes on to say, For, again, Isaiah said, He, speaking of God, has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Now, be careful when you read that passage. Do not think that God is just being a bully here. Do not think that God is just being mean by not allowing people to believe. Understand that what's happening here is that they did not believe, so they could not believe. That's a challenging statement, isn't it? They did not believe, and they resisted the truth, so they could not believe. What does that mean? The same thing that God's Word means when it says that God hardens the hearts of those who persist in sin. Where does the Bible say that? Well, consider the example of Pharaoh in the Old Testament from Exodus 9 and verse 12. Listen to just this one verse. But the Lord... I mean, we could read the whole passage and there's a lot going on there. But listen to this one verse. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Listen to what pastor and author John MacArthur writes about that passage when he says this. It is a sobering reality that those who persistently harden their hearts against God may find themselves hardened by Him. The historical record of God's dealings with Pharaoh illustrates that principle, noting ten times that he hardened his own heart and ten times that God hardened his heart. Isaiah, in one of the clearest evangelistic texts in the Old Testament, cried out, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That sounds a lot like our passage today, doesn't it? 
he goes on to say, God hardened the hearts of those who refused to believe in Jesus so that they could not believe. This is serious business. When you reject the one living and true God, do not reject the truth of God's Word. How foolish it would be. Here's an example. What's that red thing that you see on a post at intersections, that red octagonal thing that, that with four-letter word on there? It's red and white, and some of them I've noticed around here actually flash. Would you blow right through one of those without taking your foot off the gas? Would you? I hope you're all nodding your head, at least on the inside, no. Shaking your head, no. You would not do that, would you? How foolish that would be. How about when the light is red and traffic's going like this and you're coming up to it and you're like, I'm just going to go right through. I'll, I'll, I'll slip between the path. You wouldn't do that. That's foolish. This is worse. This is worse to reject the one true God, the one who sent His Son to be the replacement, the one to take the wrath of God in your place if you would put your trust in Him. It's not only in the Old Testament. We also are shown the same truth in Romans chapter 1 and verse 24, that because people have rejected God through their unrepentant sinfulness, Romans 1.24 says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And then in verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And there's another example I want to give you. Another example of this powerful truth is seen in 2 Thessalonians 2. Listen to verses 8 through 12 when Paul writes, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of His coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I don't think there's a more powerful example of this truth, these truths that I've shown you and read to you from the Scriptures, Old and New Testaments both, 
I don't think there's a more powerful example of this truth being lived out before our eyes right now that God gives over to a hardened heart people who are rebellious against God, rebellious against the truth, unrepentant sinners who harden their hearts against God and refuse to believe His Word. There's nothing to me that's more obvious than the perversion of human sexuality that is going on in our culture right now. It ought to break your heart that people are being blinded to the truth because they refuse to believe the truth. In case you didn't notice, everywhere you turn, it's Pride Month, people. And that'll break your heart that people will go to hell because they are hardening their hearts against the truth and God will harden their hearts if they persist. We ought not hate the people. We ought to hate the sin. And we ought to hate it in our own lives just as much. You take seriously this truth that rejecting God's truth is a dangerous way to live. People boldly proclaiming their pride in their rebellion against God. And literally calling it pride. The message is clear. It is right here in the Bible, isn't it? The people who persist in sin and pridefully reject God and refuse to believe in His Word and reject His goodness through Jesus Christ's sacrifice for sinners and harden their hearts Many will have their hearts hardened by God. And the warning stands for all of us too. Be careful you don't point your finger out there without pointing your finger here. The warning is for us too. If you persist in unbelief and disobedience, the more you are at risk of being turned over by God to the hardening of your heart. What about believers? Do you realize that even believers can live in unbelief? You know we do that when we disobey. We're, we're, we're living in unbelief when we disobey. And you know we, you know we are all challenged by that. And we all struggle with constant obedience we have God's word and we have his spirit to help us and we must rely upon the gifts that God has given us in his word and his spirit and even in his church by being a part of the church faithfully hearing the preaching and teaching of the word participating in the fellowship of the church helping to hold and encourage one another to be accountable to God so that we don't begin resisting the truth ourselves and living however we wish Monday through Saturday. Now, for unbelievers, when we see this hardening of the hearts of people rebelling against God, and when you see it in the world around you, it should be a sobering, sobering 
reminder that you dare not neglect your own spiritual needs and you dare not neglect sharing the gospel with unbelievers who desperately need to hear the truth. You don't decide whether they're going to believe it or not. You just tell them the truth. You live the truth in front of them and share the gospel. And this ought to be a sobering reminder for us spiritually that we dare not neglect our own spiritual health, our own spiritual needs, lest we harden our hearts against God and stunt our spiritual health and drift away from faithfulness to God and dishonor His name in the process and help people harden their hearts in the process. It's difficult to see in any of this any good on the surface Yet even in the rejection of God the Son, the glory of God is seen. And you might say, how? How is God's glory seen in the rejection of Jesus? In fact, that's what John sees in this prophecy fulfilled. He sees the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in verse 41 he says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah, the prophet, had seen a vision from God. And he had seen God's glory revealed in the coming Jesus Christ. Bible commentator Henry Morris writes that, to John it is plain that Isaiah had in mind the glory revealed in Christ. Again, we have a complex idea of glory. It points at once to the supreme greatness of Christ and the cross as the supreme illustration of His greatness. Here it includes the thought of His rejection, for that too is part of His real glory, He, being what He is, stooped to a position where men might and did reject Him. Only as we see this can we see what His glory implies. It may be difficult. It might be hard for us to understand this fully, but God's glory is even seen in the rejection of Jesus Christ, God the Son, since it is a prophecy fulfilled. The truth of God's Word stands. And this rejection of the Son is used by God to point the lost to the only way to forgiveness of sins. It is a warning. The persistent unbelief should have a sobering effect on us. Let us who, who see people who are so hardened by unbelief that they cannot seem to believe, be warned to believe in Jesus ourselves before it's too late. And believer, be warned to tend to your spiritual life every day by being in God's Word and surrendering yourself to God in prayer, speaking to Him about everything that's going on in your life and giving it all to Him to be lived out for His glory and how you respond according to God's Word. And be a faithful part of God's church, the body of Christ on earth. 
and serve Him and be faithful to Him with your life. Be warned, unbeliever, to believe in God by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work for you on the cross. And be warned, believer, to mind your spiritual life lest you harden yourself against the truth of God's Word and find your life living a miserable existence. That's the first response to the Gospel scene here. It's persistent unbelief. And remember that the result that follows this is a hardening of heart against God and the truth of His Word. It's a dangerous place to live. The second response to the Gospel and the witness and ministry of Jesus Christ is belief, but, and we see it here, it doesn't appear to be a genuine faith. Someone says, I believe, but here, it's incomplete faith. It doesn't appear to be genuine faith. It's incomplete faith. And the evidence of this is seen in the fact that we are shown people here who are more content with praise from men than from God. Verse 42, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in Him, but... For fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. So there were people, even among the authorities, who were so moved by the plain evidence that they had a a measure of belief in Jesus being the Messiah. They had a measure of belief. But for fear of man, they didn't tell anyone. In their hearts, they're thinking, this is true. But yet, they wouldn't admit it. And they were too afraid of being punished for believing in Jesus. Why? Verse 43, look at it. And this is still true today, and this is still a temptation for people today. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Believer, this is why you don't always obey God's Word. Because sometimes you believe a lie and you believe that there's more enjoyment in doing what feels good in the moment than obeying God. Faith that prefers what man can give over what God gives is not genuine faith. Someone who says, oh, I believe in Him, and yet they refuse to turn to Christ in faith and and surrender their life to Him and surrender their life to the Word, that's not genuine faith. Now, there may have been some of these people who later professed faith in Christ and did so wholeheartedly. That's possible. But at this moment, what we're seeing here is incomplete faith. They They weren't wholeheartedly trusting in Jesus, were they? And this too should be a warning to us. Unless you want to be lost in your sin, your faith must rest on Jesus Christ and on Him alone. Not in your government, not in your income, not in your possessions, not in your relationships. Your faith must rest on Jesus Christ. There may come a day, church, 
when living for Jesus becomes much more difficult than it is right now. You, you might say, well, living for Jesus is hard right now. And I agree. Being obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ is difficult, but we don't know what resistance to the truth is until a government comes down on you and proclaims that you cannot speak the truth of God's Word because that will be considered hate speech. That's a possibility. And all kinds of things like that could come on the church. Could come. I'm not saying they're coming. I'm saying they could come. The more our culture departs from the foundational truth of God's Word and law and order of God's Word established by God, and the more we pervert sinfulness and pervert and, and pre- present sinfulness as holy and righteousness as unholy, the more at risk we will be of being resisted strongly. Where will your faith be then? Will you be in church? Will you stand with the truth of God's Word? Will you declare that I believe what God's Word says is true and I'm going to seek to conform my life by it no matter what? Why believe in Jesus alone? In the closing verses of our passage today, verses 44 through 50, there's a summary of the teaching of Jesus during His earthly ministry. And this is what true faith will acknowledge Jesus cries out and says in verse 44, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, says verse 45, sees him who sent me. Believe in me, says Jesus. Why believe in Jesus alone and not in all the other things around us that we're tempted to put our faith and trust in? Because Jesus is God in human flesh. Believe in Jesus, you're believing in God. You're seeing God when you see Him. God in human flesh. And then in verse 46, He says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in Me may not remain in darkness. So believe in Jesus and you will be believing in the truth. Jesus is the light. And you will be brought into the light to live by the truth if you trust in Him and in Him alone for your salvation and forgiveness of sins. But there is a warning here for anyone who resists the truth and rebels against God by refusing to believe in Jesus, says Jesus in verse, well, verses 47 and 48. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. That's sobering. And the word Jesus has spoken comes with the authority of God. God the Father speaks through God the Son in human flesh before their eyes. And verse 49, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say, and what to speak. So there will be a judgment for those who reject Jesus. And I do not say that with joy. But there's good news here too. There's eternal life. 
there's eternal life for those who believe, as seen in verse 50. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. I know that this, His commandment is eternal life. God says, look to the Son. Look to God the Son and believe, and there's eternal life for you. There's forgiveness of sins. I want to encourage you to come back tonight because we're going to look closer at verses 44 through 50. But this is genuine faith in Jesus. And what genuine faith in Jesus brings is eternal life. Because your sins are forgiven when you genuinely trust in Jesus and in Him alone. These verses point to the answer to persistent unbelief and belief that's incomplete. Jesus had come as light to the world so that whoever believes in Him will not remain in darkness. Whoever believes. And the path from darkness to light is is wholehearted faith in God through Jesus Christ the Son. It's faith in God from the heart, fully yielded to God to do His will. That doesn't mean that you're going to be 100% successful from day one on. (laughs) But are you willing to turn with God's help and with God's Word and with God's church encouraging you and teaching you, and God's Word instructing you, are you willing to trust in Jesus Christ and turn from a way that dishonors God? God will enable you and empower you to live by faith. That's the path from darkness to light. That's faith in God from a heart fully yielded to God and His will being done in your life. That's what God has called you to if you're a believer in Jesus today, to live that way, realizing that you're still imperfect and you're still sinning. And yet God is there to help you with His Word and by His Spirit and by His church. Bible commentator J.C. Ryle puts it like this when he says, Faith is the only cure for soul ailments like this faith. A believing view of an unseen God, an unseen Christ, an unseen heaven, and an unseen judgment day, this is the grand secret of overcoming the fear of man. Let us pray for faith. If we would conquer those deadly enemies of souls, the fear of man and the love of man's praise, and if we have any faith, let us pray for more. For our daily cry Let our daily cry be, Lord, increase our faith. We may easily have too much money or too much worldly prosperity, but we can never have too much faith. Pray that way. Believer, pray for more faith. Unbeliever, put your trust in Jesus. Turn to Him and let Him begin to grow your faith. 1 John 5.4 For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Not in their own strength, by his strength. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith.